everybody. This is Randy Shandabel, and you're listening to This Golden State, another episode today on the California resistance to Donald Trump. These are the first days of the new 115th Congress. Of note, because it's this Congress that'll be the first to serve with Donald Trump as president. Now, that's fine for most Republicans, but agonizing for most congressional Democrats, including California Senator Dianne Feinstein. Whether he will be a vindictive president, the answer to that is not clear. Not just Feinstein. Lots of people wonder that. Will a President Trump punish Californians for voting against him in such overwhelming numbers? Punish Californians, especially Bay Area Californians, for leading the anti-Trump resistance? You know, vindictiveness really has no place in the executive office. It's bad public policy. Knowing that, like it or not, she'll have to work with Donald Trump, Feinstein avoids using words like resistance. But in our interview, she promises to fight against most of what Trump says he'll do. Deport immigrants, build a wall, register Muslims, undo environmental protections, get rid of Obamacare, appoint ultra-conservative Supreme Court justices. The list goes on. We will fight, fight, fight. Today's interview with Feinstein, part of a series of podcasts we're doing in conjunction with San Francisco Magazine. In fact, a few of Feinstein's comments stem in part from questions from the magazine's senior editor, Joe Eskenazi. The magazine will issue a special resistance issue right after the Trump inauguration. Now, I first interviewed Feinstein way back when she was still a San Francisco supervisor in the late 70s and many times since, but not since I left broadcast news six years ago. Um, This is Diane Feinstein. I have the privilege of speaking with someone out of my distant past. And the question is, has he mellowed? Has he matured? We'll Uh, see. The answer is no to both. (laughs) So, Senator Dianne Feinstein, thanks so much for joining us today. I understand that you do not like the word resistance with regards to how Democrats are going to handle the Trump presidency. No, resistance to me, it sort of goes back and maybe this dates me World War II, guerrillas, French resistance to Nazis, that kind of thing. So uh, I think that someone has been elected. Uh, Many of us have real concerns about it, but to date, it's the official election. So my view is you work with him where you can, and you cogently oppose uh, where you can't. You know, I represent California. We're over 40 million people. We're the sixth largest economic power on earth. And what I do Uh, to get funding for California on appropriations and doing other pieces of legislation that we've done, need to get a presidential signature. So an element of pragmatism comes into it. I take my job, Randy, very seriously, and I want to get things done on behalf of the people. So my counsel would be, be very careful. do I disagree with a lot of, been, been, of what's been proposed, including appointments? You bet your life I do. And what I will do is have my staff do the best research we possibly can and try to ferret out problems and 
if this isn't going to be, for example, a nominee that's going to represent all Americans, a vote against him. So I think the issue of resistance is so broad. Now, if you take health care, would I resist repealing Obamacare? Yes. Would I resist making certain amendments? The answer is yes. So most things have fine edges to them, and resistance is wholesale. It's across the board. And it's my belief that partisanship, hyper-partisanship, has driven the Congress, both houses, to very low voter estimation. People want their business to get done. They want appropriation bills to get passed. They don't want the government shut down. So we have to find ways to get the right thing done for the people. You essentially alluded to it at the very beginning of your remarks. Donald Trump has proven himself time and time again to lash out, to attack at people he perceives who are critical of him. And consequently, some of the Democrats we've been talking to before our interview with you today have said, perhaps on some issues we mildly disagree with them, we should try to accommodate them. And others say, no, we've got to resist across the board. And I'm just wondering, are you concerned about his, his temperament with regard to people who are critical? Well, we do live in the Bay Area yeah. here. I've been hopeful that he would transition himself from the candidate with very vicious hyperbole who could slay one of his Republican colleagues uh, with a single comment. Lion Ted, um, what did he call Rubio? Little Marco. Little Marco. Little Marco. Look at that face, low energy Bush. Um, that's unprecedented, certainly in a presidential election. Um, we don't do those things to our colleagues. So the hope is that he will transition with a recognition that the world and the country actually depend on the, on the president for stability, for knowledge, for the ability to work with people. And I think what we're seeing in the appointments that is maybe making this more difficult are more appointments at the extreme edges of the Republican, the right wing of the Republican Party. I'll get to some of those appointments <clears throat> in a minute. You've made it clear you don't like the term resistance, and I certainly understand that, but like it or not, you are pretty much the most important Californian in Washington right now. So a lot of people in the state will look to you. I think the only one other than you that thinks that is my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so like it or not, a lot of Californians are counting on you to resist a lot of the Trump agenda. Oh, look, I understand that. Um, Hillary won California. Hillary won the general election. I'm one that believes that we ought to change the system to direct election and do away with the Electoral College. That's a constitutional amendment. Passage of it is a remote event at best. Having said that, I have to be able to get things done for California, for our nation. I have to be able to be effective uh, when I'm the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee or uh, the head of energy and water on appropriations, or, well, I'm vice chairman now of intelligence. I've been chairman for six years. I will be keep my seniority, but I'll just be a member. So there's a fine line uh, between being constructive 
in, quote, resistance and being destructive in terms of resistance. Let me, uh, let me read a long list of proposals that alarm most Democrats in California. His threat to deport millions of undocumented immigrants, cutting funding to sanctuary cities, registering Muslims, his threat to repeal Obamacare, which could also mean changes to Medicare. He wants to drastically reduce environmental restrictions, which could set back the battle against climate change. He wants to spend billions on more on the military, which obviously could mean Less money for other things than let Let's talk about immigration. Okay, okay. I was going to say, how do you prioritize? There are so many well, things. California is a big immigration state. It's estimated that we have 2.47 million people um, here undocumented. Uh, we have close to 50% of the DACA young people in this state. Now, the DACA children are here, or young people, not on their own. They were brought here at some point. They are percolating up in our universities, in our colleges, in our schools. They are overall very hard working. I have followed one family from San Diego, three small children, the born in this country. The immigration people came in in the middle of the night and took their parents. They lost their home. I've just reconnected with them. The, the sister, the top girl, has gone to school. She is working. Her employer has given her a little apartment. She is taking care of her siblings. Her siblings are going to school and college. Um, this is the American dream, that people can come here and can contribute. So immigration, I think, is an issue. Um, during my time, we have doubled the Border Patrol and built 600 miles of fence. For Donald Trump, it isn't enough. We'll see. The Mexicans are not going to pay for a fence. So I am of the view that we should do everything legally if that is possible. The DACA program is a deferred deportation program, and these young people are deferred. They're given a work permit. They're, they're here legally. They have come forward, the government knows where they are, and they are very scared right now. So what most of us want to do as a first step is see that they are not deported, that they are able to remain, that the immigration um, document, the work permit is extended, and they are able to stay in this country. By and large, they are doing very, very well. And, and, and how far are senators prepared to take it if, despite your feelings about that, federal agents start coming into California cities and deporting people like that? In California, I think that's going to be very difficult. And I would be candidly very concerned uh, and very mobilized if it happened. First of all, they are here legally now. The, that's the president's executive order. If, the, if, if Trump vitiates the executive order, uh, some of us will certainly put in a piece of legislation and we will fight to have that legislation passed to extend uh, the existing uh, work authorizations that they have. Um, we'll talk about his cabinet appointments in a minute, but he's, he's also talking about uh, uh, nominating very conservative Supreme Court justices, even if it means overturning Roe v. Wade. He'd be fine with that. 
Um, when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court, it's almost nine months ago, Republicans refused to even consider the nomination. Very controversial, but they got away with that because they're the majority party. Democrats are the minority party. How will you resist some of his nominations, or excuse the word resist? How, how, will, you, how will you fight back against some of his more conservative? Well, let me say this. This is, for me, a real problem. They have effectively denied a Democratic president a Supreme Court nomination in its final year, which means in a second term, a president can expect only to nominate somebody to this court for the first three years. And it sets a kind of rolling example that is very dangerous, that has never happened before in history. From the time of George Washington, he appointed someone in his final year uh, far closer to the next election uh, than President Obama. Merritt Garland was specifically appointed because of his reputation, his ability, and his stature, and the fact that he was very much in the center of the political spectrum and should have been acceptable to Republicans as well as Democrats. A distinguished federal judge, senior judge of the most important appellate court we have, which is the District of Columbia Appellate Court, 22 years, not a single mark on him anywhere. Um, supervised the prosecution of the Oklahoma City bombers, uh, was complimented on the uh, nature of the prosecution by the opposing lawyers. Uh, one of the perpetrators is life in prison, the other got the death penalty. So I found him to be an amazing person. So the fact that they did not give this distinguished American even a hearing even to let the American people hear him and had him walking the halls, submitting boxes, almost half the size of this room, boxes of records of his, I find just probably the worst affront that I have had as a senator in a issue sense. I don't know quite how to term it, Randy, but this was a very big deal, and it's a very big episode for me to get over. And I have to because, um, first up, I'm now ranking member on judiciary, uh, will be Senator Sessions for Attorney General. And that, that hearing will apparently take place on the 10th and 11th. So I am trying my level best to get past this in my mind. You know, we in the Senate have always looked at What's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander in terms of what goes around comes around. And I think I owe it to a nominee to face that individual, to have done my due diligence, be able to ask the questions, get the answers, and most importantly, know that this will be a good representative, not for the president, my attorney general, but for all the people of this country, an independent officer. And that's really important. So uh, Jeff Sessions is just one of his cabinet appointments. Uh, some of his I'm other- first on judiciary, that's why I mentioned him. The Supreme, if there's a Supreme Court justice, that'll be the next one. There will, there will be a Supreme Court justice. But, but, but just in general, his cabinet pick so far, it, it almost seems he's choosing an anti-cabinet. He's, he's choosing a lot of people who are in opposition to the very 
cabinet post that they're, they've been nominated to lead, Rick Perry, for example. Is, is, is he making a statement with that? What does that say about Trump's policies? I think the statement is, you mentioned Rick Perry. I think he does not understand the complication of that particular portfolio. It's extremely complicated and problematic. It's the whole Department of Energy. It's ARPA. It's DARPA. It's the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, all of that is in the energy uh, department. And now we have a governor of Texas. And I don't know how much he knows about it. And I'm really worried about it for the sake of the people. And something that's being proposed, which is a new nuclear cruise missile, which can be launched from a plane 1,500 miles away from its target, cannot be aborted, and it's a very powerful new weapon. Um, I happen to be against it. Does Governor Perry really know about this? Does he really know about our nuclear arsenal? Does he know about the treaties that have been passed? Um, I don't think so. Keep in mind, we recorded this interview with Feinstein just before Donald Trump tweeted about his intentions to, quote, greatly strengthen and expand the nuclear capability of the U.S. No doubt, Feinstein's even more concerned about Rick Perry being in charge of nukes now. Also, she accused Trump and congressional Republicans, who as the majority party control all scheduling, of trying to fast-track cabinet confirmation hearings, including Rick Perry's, so that Democrats don't have time to properly research and vet the nominees. But isn't that what Trump supporters wanted him to do, to kind of take a wrecking ball to Washington establishment and just start over? Well, if it is, we'll see how that works. If it is, we'll see how people really like it long term. So far, his appointments haven't exactly looked like a uh, rainbow coalition. For the most part, uh, very wealthy white men. For the most part, there, there have been a few exceptions. Are you concerned about that? Well... I'm not concerned about how much they have in the bank, but what I'm concerned about is what they represent. And, you know, you see an ambassador, yeah, well, it's Israel, for example, now, who's on the very right of the right uh, with respect to a two-state solution, which has been the policy of this country for decades, to try to work out a situation where Palestinians <coughs> and Israelis can live in peace now. It happens to be that, in my judgment, this has been a kind of wellspring for anti-American feeling in the Arab world. And to feed that with an ambassador who is right of right doesn't make any sense to me because we, we have, at this stage, a very dangerous world. And the people who are ambassadors right now should be people who have some background in the area, who are aware of the history of America's policy in these areas. Uh, you have a dictator in North Korea with between 10 to 20 nuclear weapons now working their way up in production to more, uh, making threats at South Korea. You have the Chinese in the South China Seas doing a, taking an unprecedented action by militarizing atolls throughout that particular Spratly area. You have the Middle East in catastrophe. Uh, to me, when I watch what's happened in Aleppo 
and watch the children being slaughtered and every medical center being bombed out by Russia and by the Syrian regime. Donald Trump has to play a role in this. So he should, because he doesn't have that experience, get people around him who are really experienced, who know the impact of whatever he might want to do and can sit down with him and talk with him in a reasonable way. You know, um, should we send troops in to bring out the tens of thousands of people who are stranded without housing, without food? Uh, and then somebody says, well, I want you to know, Mr. President, this is the upside of it, this is the downside of it, whatever it is. But if you surround yourself with people who have fixed views really not based on any kind of sound history, it could be very problematic. We could get ourselves really in over our heads in a major way. At the beginning of our interview, when I started to list many of the concerns that Democrats have about Donald Trump, you made it clear that your first priority is drawing a line at uh, deporting some of the uh, undocumented immigrants. I don't think I even got to his positions on reversing some of President Obama's positions on climate change and undoing regulations yeah. with regards to the environment. Yeah. A lot of people were very concerned about that. Yeah. You, well, you're there's no shade in shading in that to me. Climate change is real. The science is known. It is happening. It is happening in California. I'm concerned about California becoming a desert state. The volatility of the weather patterns, uh, the six year of drought, climate change, I believe is real. I believe that what Obama has done is right. I believe getting the world to buy into it, particularly China, is a big, big advance. So on climate change, I wanna see us develop a sound energy industry not based on fossil fuels. And in California, what the governor has done, I think is really very fine and strong. And we will meet those, those terms. And Californians are ready to do it. But if the next president is determined to undo, get rid of those regulations, is there anything that the minority party can do to stop him? Well, we'll have a big fight on our hands. There's no question about that. Whether we can win it or not is unknown at this time. But I think increasingly Americans are coming to believe that climate change is, is real. Is there anything he's doing that you've been impressed with so far? Well, he really hasn't, quote, done anything. Uh, he's done a lot of tweets, which I don't quite understand. And he's made appointments. And he's gone out to some states and patted himself on the back and said thank you. That doesn't do much for government and good policy and helping the American people. Um, let me say one thing. I think where he did in the campaign say something that was correct was in the loss of manufacturing jobs. And I actually think that's a big focus of the states that he won. And California is losing manufacturing jobs too. We need manufacturing. Now, why do we need it? We need it because we've got people 
who need those jobs. And, you know, not everybody in California is a college graduate. So those jobs, which are good jobs, you lose them. And then what's available is something that you can't pay your mortgage, your car loan, your kids' tuition with. And so if you're 45 or 50 and you lose that job, it's really a problem. Um, this is a huge, this is where I think he hit the, the nail on its head. The next time we talk, Donald Trump will be president. So as, as a final question, what would you say to Californians to reassure them that, that the world won't end? I mean, some people are actually thinking that. I'm well, exaggerating, obviously, yeah. but that it's really dire, dire times. Well, there are a lot of people back there in the House delegation and I believe uh, Senator-elect Harris and myself, um, we will fight, fight, fight uh, for those issues that are important. The immigration issue, the energy-related issues, climate change-related issues, enlightened labor laws, uh, being able to have a state that can uh, pay people so that they can afford to live in it, those are overwhelming values, and I know I'm missing some, but just as examples. And in the Senate, you see, one person can make a big difference. You can hold things up. You can filibuster. You can take the negative tack, and that can work for a while. But Feinstein said filibusters over the long run usually peter out, generate headlines, slow things down, but only rarely actually prevent bills from passing, only rarely prevent nominations from being approved. So she said she tries to negotiate with Republicans, work out compromises. That's why most moderates really like Feinstein, but many progressives find her a disappointment. The retiring Senator Barbara Boxer was California's flamethrower. Feinstein, California's consensus builder. As Feinstein said at the beginning of her interview, she is not a fan of the word resistance. You know, it's really kind of different strokes, not for different folks, but for different issues. It all depends. But I still have the hope. And, and people have said this about him. People have said that you know, he's been able to dispense with some of the things he said in the campaign. And, well, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll change it. Um, I hope he goes through more of that because this is truly a great country and it needs a great leader. And you can't be a great leader with a lot of campaign hyperbole and putting people down. And Senator Dianne Feinstein. Okay. Thank you. More than I thought. Uh, it was a little bit rambling. I apologize for that. Well, my rambling questions no, no. fed you rambling Thank answers. You. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> In the next couple of weeks leading up to the inauguration, we'll have more podcasts on California's so-called resistance, an interview with Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, interviews with the mayors of San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose, interviews with immigrants, with their attorneys, with activists, with members of Black Lives Matter, more podcasts on how Californians plan to resist Donald Trump.
You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to Shandeville at Shandeville.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.